stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. America, or at least uh, the America who is listening to a podcast, even more specifically this podcast, uh, which is the three questions with Andy Richter. Uh, But also today, uh, and I am very excited about this, my dear old pal, Paul F. Tompkins is here. Andy! Hi! Hi! How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is your milieu. This podcast world is really, you're the king of podcasts. Do you get tired of people being like podcast Paul kind of thing or? No. Well, you know what? That's a new one. I have not heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) I I just made it up. Old podcast Paul. (laughs) Here he comes. He hates Dick Tracy. (laughs) I hope that like when you're like 90 sitting in the corner of a tavern, Every day, you shuffle in. <laughs> That's God. podcast, Paul. <laughs> what the fuck? What is this bleak picture? Cuts up, bleak. You're getting out of the house. You're 90. But I'm 90, and I'm sitting in a tavern every day. But not for the whole day. <laughs> you know, you go in and you play, uh, you play Yahtzee with some young people, and you regale them with uh, tales of show. That actually sounds fun. That See, does that sound nice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, how are you doing? I haven't I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know I, I'm I'm doing okay. You know I think I'm doing like everybody else is doing. It's it's up and down, and some yeah. days are better than others. And you know it's nice to have things like this to to look forward to and feel busy and that you're doing something different than uh, panicking and <laughs> you know wondering what life is going to be like uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all what, right. How, yeah. What is your thought process? Because I mean, my thought process of like what life will be in the future is I have just come to the conclusion I need to just stop thinking about it because it's like it's like trying to figure out who's going to win the 2023 Super Bowl. You know, I, no fucking way of knowing. Oh, Bills. Um, but I try <laughs> to. Uh, I, I I pretty much get to that point. I, I always arrive at that point of, yeah. because like what, where I am now is I have no idea what is going to happen. I yeah. truly have no idea about anything. I yeah. mean, but it makes you realize, well, you didn't before either, you know, but you, you sort of told yourself that there were certain things that you could count on and certain things that you, you could see the trajectory of events or blah, blah, blah. And then realizing like, wow, I just know nothing. I have no idea. I can't see into the future. And uh, I just have to, 
be, or I have to be, I have to be present in a way that I, I don't think I ever have been before. Really? You know, and just living today and doing, and you know, my wife, Janie and I, we, we talk about this all the time because it's, 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 it's easy to get down on yourself about things. And it's great to have somebody say, Hey, you're just doing the best you can. Like if today's a bad day, tomorrow's a different day. And maybe tomorrow you'll do better and you'll feel better and you won't be as depressed or you won't be as, as uh, fatalistic or whatever. But to having given myself the permission to have bad days and say that, you know, that we truly, everyone is doing the best that they can right now. Now you're part of, you are a, from a big Catholic Philly family. Yeah. Is it a funny family? I mean, oh, are yeah. funny? Are you the funny one? No, or ev- everybody's pretty much funny? everybody's funny. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, uh, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of jokes and roasts all the time. And, um, you know, I, I loved, uh, if I could get my mom to laugh, that was like a big victory, you know? Um, because was she t- a, a tough nut to crack some, she could be, but you could, you would see her laugh at, she, she was a person who liked to laugh. And so if, if you said something you thought was funny and it was not, it did not get a laugh, it fucking sucked. It was yeah, yeah. really bad when it was treated like, you know, you're, you're being annoying right now, as opposed to you're being hilarious right now right, was, right. was really, it was always devastating, you know? And, um, so that she was the the person that I think was the beginning of refining of comedy skills. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. figuring out, okay, how do I, how do I, <laughs> I got, I got to go and load it up. How do I phrase this so that it gets the desired yeah. effect? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, cause she could be, she could be really tough and she could be really, um, uh, uh, she could really shut you down, you know, and uh, it killed me every time. It killed me every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was just, yeah, she was just toughing you up. She was like your first manager. <laughs> sure. Oh, come on. <laughs> you can do better than that. <laughs> but she was she was one of those moms that was always, the thing that I wasn't doing was the thing that she wished I was doing. So oh, really? when, I would, when I would do plays or I would do stand-up, you know, it's like, well, I wish you would draw again. Like, well, mom, I never got better. <laughs> my my art skills absolutely leveled off to a point yeah. where I stopped doing it because I realized I wasn't getting any better. And it was yeah, frustrating. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I know in my brain what I want this to look like and I can't make yeah. I can't make it happen. You know? Yeah. And I wasn't I wasn't interested enough to continue it, to pursue it, you know. Why what do you think the mechanism in her mind for doing that was? Do you think do you think that she was like turning something that she did to herself onto you? You know, like, oh, you know, I, she had, I think was about she that dissatisfied with herself. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I think that she, you know, she was a very, um, she was a frustrated and burnt out person. You know, she was someone who did everything that uh, was asked of her, of her uh, generation, her religion, her, uh, her upbringing. And, it was, it turned out to be fucking hard, you know? Yeah. She had six kids and my dad was very old fashioned. And I think that he believed his job was to go out and make a living and provide for the family. And then when he came home, his time was, he was off, you know, he was off the clock. And so. Right, right. right. She, uh, 
they she really grew to resent him and i grew up in a household with a um you know a broken marriage where everyone just stayed you know and um it was the tension was there every day every single day and did that did it change at a certain point or was it kind of did you were you born into it do you think I wasn't quite born into it because I do because I do have a younger brother. So uh-huh. there there was a definite after him, there was a definite point where uh it was declared over, silently declared over, you know, and this cold war began. There were no more no more babies being made. Yeah, no more babies being made. And I I was young, I was I, I was I remember when I I was very young and I remember when they moved into separate bedrooms. Um, oh, wow. and the, the reasoning was, um, you know, that, well, sometimes your little brother crawls into bed, into bed with us and we don't want to like roll over on him or something. Um, which, you know, it took me a couple of years to decode that when I was like, oh no, you guys, you can't stand each other, you know? Yeah. Um, and they did not speak to each other unless it was absolutely necessary. And, um, you know, it was, it, you go over to your friend's houses and you see how their parents are with each other. And, and uh, you know, you, you know that it's different and that this is not, uh, that the, you know that this is not like a, um, uh, a, compl- a wholly practical choice, but that there is an emotion yeah. here. And I would sometimes hear my mother, you know, be, just be like angry in the kitchen, like slamming pots and stuff and, and railing against my dad or against us, you know, that she would, she just felt, she definitely felt like she was all alone in keeping this house together. We weren't helping her out. My dad, of course, wasn't helping her out and that she, and she had nowhere to go, you know, she had nowhere to turn and she was stuck in this situation and it was a tough thing realizing that, oh, we're part of this. I'm part of the situation that you're stuck in. You know, I'm part of the reason that you are unhappy. Um, yeah, yeah. Was a, was a real heavy burden for a kid. And uh, I honestly, until my, my mom died in 2006, my dad died in 2011. And it wasn't until my dad died that the specter of their, their terrible relationship was lifted. Like I remember the feeling of the weird feeling of relief I had after my dad yeah, died, yeah. and like, yeah. oh yeah, I've been like as long as one of them was still there, this whole this whole heavy thing was always going to be on top of right, me, right, right. You know, yeah. and of course, then you have to deal with like the weird guilt of feeling relief about that, you know. But I I I lived sufficiently long enough to. To, to be able to deal with those feelings and say, I, I know what the, I can identify what this is and I'm absolutely okay with feeling this. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't lessen any other feelings that I have. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was, um, it was tough. It was tough. And it, it took me a long time to realize how tough it was and, and how, yeah. how much it impacted me. Uh, yeah. Even after going, you know, being in therapy and doing work on myself, it, it it was it's still an ongoing process, you know. I'm still processing yeah. it and still realizing uh, a lot of things. And my relationship with my dead parents changes from, you know, day to day. And sometimes yeah. I'm mad at them, and sometimes I'm not. And you know, sometimes I'm forgiving, and sometimes I'm resentful. And you yeah. know, I do think though. I mean, from my own experience, relatives with whom you have a problematic. 
uh, problematic relationship that you end up feeling all kinds of things, but a lot of what you feel is resentment. Yeah. And is like, like, why did you put this on me? Yeah. They die. You feel a little bit like, whoo, that they're gone. And then you feel bad about the guilt, but I always feel like that the relief outweighs, you know, like the, yeah. re- the, the law, the, the absence of resentment is so much more vital and important than 100%. feeling guilty that they're gone. 100%. You know? so, yeah. 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 Did you, did you feel when, when your parents passed that, did you feel a change within, I mean, and you can always pass and say, you don't, that's too personal, but in your own marriage, did you think that like it, created some freeing up in you that you could do something differently in your own marriage? I think that it did. I mean, when I got married, the big fear for me was I don't want to, because of whatever, you know, time bombs are buried within me. I don't want to replicate any part of that, uh, of that marriage. And I did, because I did not have a good model for marriage growing up uh, in the immediate. And I was like, what if I don't know how to do this? You know, I was pretty sure that I did. But there, there was always that fear of like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be angry like my mom and I don't want to be remote like my dad, you know, I don't want to, and, and I can feel both of those things, uh, uh, happen at different times. And I, but I'm glad that I'm aware of it, you know, so I can, I can either head it off at the pass or I can process it quickly enough my wife and I are great about talking shit out. We are great about it. And um, I hope we always will be, you know. Um, we fought a lot more at the beginning of our relationship than we did after we got married. Like it, oh, we, really? We were very much testing boundaries when we first got together, and it got serious, you know. And all of, all of the fights we had were about um, figuring out how do I stay who I am and be in a relationship with you. How do I, what concessions do I make? What am I willing to do? And what, what are the things that are, that I don't realize are okay to concede on that? It doesn't mean like I'm erasing my own identity to be in a relationship with you. Um, And then, and then we, we, we hit our stride as a, as a, as a, as a, as an entity, you know? And so now the fights we have, um, when we do fight, if it's a big fight, it's like knowing that uh, this is not a deal breaker. Uh, this is just a frustrating thing, and we're going to talk it out. And and you know we'll we'll use whatever tools we need to use if we need to bring in a third party to to hash it out. Whatever, um, we're prepared to do that. You know. Um, oh, I, I thought you meant like a hammer <laughs> when you said whatever tools. Like, no, sometimes we will get tools and we'll just, we'll, we'll build a device and we'll say, what is this? I thought you meant you were hitting each other with things. I'll show have, you. We have big inflatable hammers and then we just start <laughs> laughing and we forget what we're even talking about. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> big inflatable hammers. All right, it's time for the hammers. I think those I think those inflatable sumo suits are the key to a happy marriage. Uh, go get the big gerbil balls. We are dueling. I actually want one of those big gerbil. Do you remember we did that fucking eBay thing? And yeah. I and I got inside one of those gerbil balls. I do. 
Yeah, we did it. We did a, and I mean, when was this? Like 2006? Oh my God. Something like that. that. Yeah. 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 It was, it was when the internet was still, nobody knew what the fuck to do with the internet. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And eBay basically hired the two of us (laughs) to be comedy versions of ourselves to create short internet content. So Mm -hmm. we basically went around and did where you would see a remote piece in a late night talk show. We were doing those, but just to go on the internet to get people to use eBay. Yeah. And the conceit was, I think, that we were teaching people how to win. Yes. Because they were really pushing hard on the notion that you don't buy something on eBay. You win it. You win the right to pay money, the most amount of money that anyone (laughs) was willing to pay for it. What a victory. Victory is mine. <laughs> this started but, out at um, nine seventy five, and I've paid a thousand dollars for it. But yeah, we had to do all kinds of weird shit, and one of them was those big fucking hamster balls. Yeah. Which were hot. So hot in there. It oh, was so hot in there. The instant you get in it, it's like, fuck this. This is not <laughs> like unless we're in snow, this sucks. This is bad. I'm gonna send you, I have a picture of myself in that thing. Let me, I'm going to send it to you. All right. Yeah. We also, we were traveling around in an RV with our big, dumb, smiling faces (laughs) Uh, on a giant sticker. They put like one of those big skins over it. And it was us like, like it was like, kind of like if you'd said like smile, like the biggest fucking glad handing (laughs) asshole you can be. And we did that, and we would be riding around because we drove all around. I think it was all in California, but we went from like it was supposed to North- be all over the country, and then it, the thing shrunk so quickly yeah, <laughs> to yeah. where it's like, uh, yeah, we're uh, maybe an hour outside of LA, you'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did go. We went north. We went to like That's San true. Francisco or something. But we would be driving in this thing, sitting around talking. And Todd Levin, who ended up being a Conan writer, was a, like the copywriter on the thing. Yeah, that's how and I met him. In this RV, having a lot of fun, and then and then we'd like drive past a building that had a mirrored front, and I could and I would catch a glimpse of our big stupid faces, <laughs> and realize we're riding around in this basically this thing that says Andy and Paul are assholes, <laughs> and I and it would totally take. I was like, oh fuck, that's right, you know. You would remind like, me periodically out of nowhere. I guess when it occurred to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And you we'd be like sitting there. Um and this is also before before smartphones were really a big thing. So we weren't yeah. like on our phones all the time. No, no. So there would be we quiet moments. We, we spoke to each other and then there'd be sometimes we just like kind of hang out and enjoy like the the rhythm of the road and then you would turn to me out of nowhere and say uh, our faces are on the side of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but well, now is the, is kind of does that situation at home? Do you think that inspires you to want to get into comedy just to kind of just to sort of seek out some levity and lightness, or is it something that you just feel like you can do and you know? Uh I mean, probably both. I mean, it definitely was a thing. The thing about my uh, about my mom particularly, because I knew my dad is just like he's off in his own world and. So to get my mom to laugh was important because I could make other people laugh. Like yeah. when I would go to school, I was definitely like the 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 class clown and everything. People thought I was funny. And yeah. 
I was like, I know that I'm good at this. So if if I can make her do it, it's like that's the true. That's the proof. That's the true proof that I yeah. am that I am I am meant to do this. And so I, I you know, through high school, I was always funny, and then. Uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to be in show business and, and, uh, one time, you know, I was getting close to graduating high school and I think I was maybe going into my senior year of high school or I just entered it. And, um, I, it was, it was kind of late at night. It was like right before, you know, bedtime or whatever. And my mom and I got in an argument in the kitchen like with only the the light over the sink that was always on, um, we got in this like screaming fight about because I said I wanted to go into show business, and she got so mad. And I remember her saying, "Don't you realize how hard a life that is?" And I said, <laughs> "I said yes, I do." <laughs> Neither one of us knew what the fuck we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But then that year, even though I did I did the school plays and stuff like that, I had I had convinced myself that I was going to go to college and I was going to figure out something else to do because I didn't know how to go about being in show business. I had no right. idea. And I remember my 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 oldest sister uh who was also sort of uh creatively minded. Um How much older? She's the oldest and I'm second to but last. I mean, so she is, I mean, how- yeah, she is, um, she, I'm f- going to be 52. She's, we're about 10 years apart. We're about okay, 10 years yeah, apart. Yeah. Cause that's practically a grown up. Oh, for sure. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, she had heard about, she'd seen something about an audition for, uh, uh, a movie called something wicked this way comes, um, which was like a Disney sort of, um, kids thriller kind of thing, you know, like a supernatural element. Um, Jason, I remember it. Yeah. Jason Robards was in it, I think. Yeah. And yeah. There was an audition for it. And she sent me like the clipping, like they're going to be seeing people in Philadelphia. You should go do this. And I didn't go because it was too scary. And I forget yeah. what, it, whatever excuse I told myself at the time was not that it was too scary, but I, I remember the feeling of like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, you know, I probably was like, uh, I don't know, 11 or 12, something like that. But I couldn't, even though I had done stuff at school, I'd been in front of audiences and, you know, I wasn't afraid to to make, to, to like uh, be funny in front of the class and stuff like that. This was too big and too scary for me. And I, I think it was the, I don't know if it was the, the, I don't know. Honestly, don't know what the difference between fear of failure and failure of fear of success is because <laughs> right, they feel right. like the same fucking thing to me. They sure do. But yeah. I was, I think I was scared to go and find out that maybe I wasn't good. Yeah. And it was easier to not try because then I, I could still have the idea that I was good, you know? Yeah. And that is a, that's a, uh, a thing that I've had to watch forever, forever. Yeah. Um, to, to that feeling of if, what if you go and you fail and then you'll know for sure that you're not good. And that's, you know, getting back to the standup discussion, it's like, you know, it, it definitely, the setback that I felt like I, I went through kept me from wanting to try again because I was like, it was the feeling of like, 
well, what if I work up an hour and nobody gives a shit? You know, what if I, what if I work on an hour of standup material and people just shrug at it like that? will yeah. That will hurt my feelings. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, so, I have, I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, my analog for that, that, and I, that I would talk to people about is like I said, I was, and, you know, just the way I look at it, it's like I was number one on the call sheet on three television shows. Mm-hmm. Like I had, which is that in and of itself is being successful beyond my wildest dreams. Absolutely. From when I started going into this thing. Yeah. But all three of those shows, quote unquote, failed. Mm-hmm. And and at the end of the, every one of I those, was the one who came up with that quote, by the way. <laughs> so thank you for attributing it yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. His shows failed. It's a direct quote. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean? It's Absolutely, like, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the marketplace is a different thing than sort of like people's collective opinions or, yes. you know, or your own feeling about the quality of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, and at the end of it, I, everyone, you know, so many supportive people in my life that would say like, well, the show was so funny and it was so well written and it's before it's time and all these other things that are supposed to kind of assuage my sadness over it. And I always would feel like, yeah, but America rejected me. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I was put in front of America as here's a show. This guy is supposed to be like, you're supposed to fall in love with this guy yeah. and his, and his, and his crazy gang of cohorts. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to want to come back here until we, you know, for years and years until we t- take it away from you. Yeah. And I just was, I would tell people like, I get it. I know we did a good job. I said, but there will always be just a big shit smear on my soul yeah. of being put in front of everybody and everybody going, eh. Yeah. And then it's taken away. Yeah. Uh, and it, and, and I, like I say, I can rationalize my way out of all that. Yeah. And people say such lovely things about the stuff that I've done. And there are still people that, you know, will strangers to tell me how much they liked w- one of these shows. But it still is in there. It's still this feeling of like, eh, oh, well, yeah. you know, and it, and it has also informed me of like, eh, maybe that's not for me. You know, maybe, maybe that's just like. Maybe I'm an ensemble player, which mm-hmm. is like kind of more suited to my leave me the fuck aloneism. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so but so did you think it was stand up for sure at that time? Like when you're going in, like is that did you have like a? I didn't think it was stand up for sure until I went into stand up. Like I uh-huh. because I just didn't know anything about it. Like I the, the thing that got me into stand up was. Uh, a friend of mine who was a couple years older, had graduated high school before me, went to college in Arizona, got into stand-up there. And then when he came back to Philly, said, do you want to get an act together? I didn't know anything about open mics. I didn't know. I just didn't. I I couldn't conceive of how one started. It yeah. didn't. It, it seemed like a job that somehow magically other people had. I didn't know there was a way into it. And yeah. then one, the first time I set foot on a stage at a comedy club, and I was performing in front of people that I did not know, and it was working well enough for me to feel like I want to do this again. That was it. Yeah. That was yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is the thing that I want to do for sure. And you and you were seventeen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seventeen. I, yeah, I yeah. graduated high school uh, in June and went up for the first time in July. Do you think it was helpful that you had somebody there with you? One hundred percent. 
Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think was that, that I, Rick was that Rick Roman? It was Rick Roman, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah. Cause I ended up knowing he came to Chicago yeah. to do improv yeah. and then tragically died in a weird he drove a taxi cab into the river. Yeah. Which it seemed very people were sort of unsure as to whether it was uh, an accident or yeah. you know, no no one could really know. I you know. from what I from what I heard later, that particular stretch of road, um that was not the first time that that had happened, and they finally put up uh, guardrails. I think where there were none at, at yeah, this yeah, particular yeah. spot. So that that made me that that quieted those wonderings for me a little bit. Yeah, know? yeah. Because he was a complicated. He was a weird guy. Yes, he, he was, was kind of from the Andy Kaufman school of kind. You know, sort of his first, his first, the first thing he came at you was being kind of off-putting. Yeah. Like being kind of weird, but then you kind of had to like settle into it. Cause like there were lots of, you know, there are lots of, uh, lots of guys, improv guys in rugby shirts named Mike who wanted to punch his face. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just Cause they didn't, they didn't oh. get like, no, it's, he's just, he's odd. Don't take it offense at it. He's just kind of a weirdo. He you know? loved getting people to that point. Like oh, that he was, was yeah, he yeah, yeah. loved it. He loved it. So yeah. many nights that were scary with him where it was like, please, I know. please stop talking it's to not, that guy. It's not my, it is so not my thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, 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 yeah, don't yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't make that guy with the, with, with the Western belt mad. Uh, but yeah, but so anyway, so then, I mean, is, is this act that you have with Rick, does it kind of, do you take that somewhere or are you just kind of doing it in, well, we did it, in Philly? And- we did it for a year and a half. We were a team for a yeah. year and a half. And um, uh, we started to, like, people liked us right away because we were weird. We were different. Like, what we did was kind of two-man sketch almost, you know? We, were, we yeah. weren't really ourselves on stage. We were very presentational and absurdist, uh, very much influenced by uh, Monty Python. And um, uh, we just liked being weird like uh yeah and it was it was a lot of fun and we started we graduated from open mics to showcase nights you know i i don't i think we we did maybe a couple paying gigs where we bombed horribly um and then after a year and a half we just kind of we were we were definitely going our separate ways you know and so we split up i took a month to kind of cobble together a solo act and um, as soon as I got on stage by myself, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I want to do still. And mm-hmm. and then he got into improv and moved to Chicago not long after that. Yeah. Um, and real, I think really found his thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and then he died um, a few years later. Um and it was that was that was the first time a contemporary of mine died, and yeah. it, I just didn't know how to deal with it. Well, I mean, the way I dealt with anything back then was getting drunk. That was that was yeah, yeah. that was the tool we all had. You know, I was however old, like in my early twenties, you know, and it was just like. I will treat this uh, grief the way I treat my happiness <laughs> by, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pour, by getting shit faced. Yeah. Yeah, 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 pour yeah. booze on it. Yeah. Were you in LA by this time? No, I was still in Philly. Passed? I was still oh, in Philly. Oh, you're still in Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I did stand up for eight years in Philly before I moved to LA. 
Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, when when you start to do stand up by yourself, are you going straight into like being Paul on stage and saying Paul observations, or was there a kind of transition where you still were doing th- absurdist character uh, and stuff? Kind of half and half, you know. Like yeah. I, I, I would talk to the audience, um, but I, I did have some. It, you know, my act was my my earliest act was a was a kind of mishmash of sort of observational things and then absurdist things, and uh, it didn't really. It was I was very much a new guy in comedy. You know, it was it took me a while to figure out, um, to kind of put together an act that was cohesive, uh, and then you know when I got to L.A. things further changed and I kind of went back and forth. Like I, I was very excited by the, um, the, uh, uh, the alternative movement that was happening. That was yeah. very conversational, very honest. Uh, you were very much yourself on stage and I really enjoyed that feeling, but then the, the, but that was, but what I would put together in clubs was much more high concept, not showing any of myself, you know, just like very quick, um, silly jokes. Um, it was very theatrical and very performance based. And then it was, uh, it was a very gradual evolution to, uh, more personal material that was Mm -hmm. more, that came more from my own life. And another thing that, that, that kind of stalled me out on standup was, well, what do I talk about now? You know, at this, at this stage of my life, what do I, what, what do I, what's my point of view? What do I want to say? Um, what is my theme at this particular station in my life? And I didn't know what it was. And it also coincided with the world kind of getting more and more fucked up and thinking like, well, was that me? What? Shut up device. Yeah. No one was talking to you. Right. And by the way, Siri, I think he was being very clear. Thank the you. Problems on you, Siri. You wouldn't understand because you're a thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I didn't know. I I was like, I have these feelings about the world, but I they're not. I, I can't make them funny. Like any, I feel like a ten, like sort of Twitter was the way I would try to to do commentary on on you know life and politics and social issues and stuff. And like a lot of times, I was like. Well, this one was funny, but this one was just kind of corny. Like sometimes I'd just delete something because it was like, hey, this is like Mark Russell. You know what I mean? Like, what am yeah, I? What yeah, am I doing? Yeah, 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 Mark yeah. Russell without the piano. <laughs> well, is that? Is it just kind of? Are you just sort of like? Is there a, a, a? Are you still concerning yourself with what do I have to say? Like, is that is that a a, a concern that carries with you, or is that something that? Once you're doing it, you're just doing it and it kind of evolves into a different thing. Well, I, I tried to sort of force it. Um, there was a, a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm just going to write some material and I'm just going to go up on stage and I'm going to fake it till I make it. You know, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, start working these muscles again in the hope that um, it will come back to me and I'll get in the rhythm of doing this the way that I'm used to doing it. Yeah. And uh, it didn't happen. You know, I was in, I think I was in the, uh, I believe I was in the midst of a depression that was just not allowing my mind to open up in that way. 
And yeah. I was not connected to the material. I didn't feel like the audience was connecting with it. I got some laughs, but it didn't feel true. It didn't feel honest. And I sort of, I realized, well, this is not the way it's going to happen. And the way I was thinking it was going to happen before everything shut down was at some point, you know, because there's always a later, at some point, I'll just, I'll put together like a night of material. And so I'll have more room. I won't be like putting myself in a, in a five to eight minute situation where there's other people on the show and I have to worry about time and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll like get a night at UCB Franklin and say, can I have, you know, a half hour to just like work some shit out. And that's how I'll get back into it because, right. you know, the, the best stuff that I was doing, you know, the last couple hours I did, I worked out when I would do those variety shows at Largo where I could go up first and, and do a monologue and do as much time as I wanted, you know? And, yeah. um, and I could record that and then listen back to it, take the best stuff, refine it, you know, when I would go on stage somewhere else. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to get back to doing that. And then I just didn't. And now here we are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the figuring out what I want to say is, is it, it is difficult because, you know, the, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about, but the challenge is, is this funny? You know, is it, is mm-hmm. it, is there a way to talk about my own, um, you know, uh, toxic masculinity where I came from? Uh, is there a way to make that funny and not, I don't, ever want to be just going up there and getting a bunch of applause breaks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I I just want to make people laugh. I just want it to be funny. Um, And if I can't, if I, if it's not coming out that way, you know, if I, if I'm not thinking of it in that way, in terms of, you know, tell my stories and make them funny, um, then it's not, it's not time yet. You know? Yeah. I still need to think about it more. I still need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Cause that it's just cheerleading, you know? Yeah. Like, and that's for me, you know, I occasionally, but I mainly only do it on Twitter. Like I'll think of like uh, a joke that's about politics, but it's, you know, but it's first and foremost, it's a joke. And yes. it's just, just sort of like commenting on something that's happening or yeah. like pointing out a silly aspect or an absurd aspect. But when, I I think people think like because I talk about politics on Twitter that like I have some interest in being a political comedian and like no because that's like they're two different things to me. Yeah. It's not funny. It's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> you know, and I have no interest in getting applause by talking about, you know, Trump blows yeah. like oh okay, yeah, yeah. He does, but you know, such a brave stance yeah. to take in front of an audience <laughs> of, of of young people in Los Angeles. <laughs> Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. 
but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? You moved to L.A., uh, you know, probably got off the bus in your simple flowered dress, mm-hmm. uh, went to Schwab's, mm-hmm. uh, hung out until a bit, a big producer met you. I put on a tighter uh, flowered dress over that flowered dress. <laughs> oh, rumpled. Um, but do you, uh, how soon after that do you end up on uh, Mr. Show? You know, uh, two years, like- two years. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah. I got here in 94. Uh, I did a little bit of stand up, but it felt like. Oh man, I have to start over from nobody knows me here. Do I have to start from literally like open mics again? Yeah. And so I I got connected to a couple out of town gigs and they weren't they were in comedy clubs and they weren't satisfying and then um I got into sketch writing because I was introduced to Jay Johnston. Um yeah. and who was also on Mr. Show and yeah. just a uh, hilariously fantastic actor. Absolutely. Yeah. And he and I, and writer. he and I met, we hit it off right away. He had moved to town like a few months after I did. And, um, a, a comic that I knew named Jeff Hatz, uh, who was a, a DC comic that I knew from my time in Philadelphia said, Hey, I do this show at a place called the diamond club. Um, if you ever want to do it. Oh, so, so classy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Diamond Club was was this dance club that had a tiny back room with a stage, and we would do shows in this stage. There's this, there was this group of people that all kind of got to L.A. around the same time from Chicago, from San Francisco, from New York, and we put together these weird shows week after week, um, and the show would last until the dance music started in the main room. So, so the... The the back room was open before the main room, yeah. and you'd go through the empty dance dance hall to get into this little theater, and then you know we were supposed to do like about an hour, and then you knew that the hour was up when the bass started, <laughs> and you're like, oh okay, we, we're going a little over time. Um, but so Jeff invited me uh, and said, yeah, you can do whatever you want. You could do like character or a sketch or whatever. And I was like, oh, a sketch might be fun. And uh, I called up Jay Johnston and said, do you want to write something together for this show? And that was it. We we had a ball writing this thing. We did it. People yeah. really liked it. Uh, the, the the community really liked it. Like, we, we started making friends with all these different people. Um, and it was an extremely exciting time. And, and, and uh, Jay and I wrote a show, a solo show together. It was just us. Um, and put it up a few different times. And then uh, uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross saw us do that show and they were getting their second season of Mr. Show and they now had uh, enough, a big of enough budget for a writing staff. Yeah. And we got hired then. And that was, so that was 1996. Um, cool. And I, I was 
even at the time I was aware, like, this is very fast. Like, I can't believe this is happening this, this quick. Yeah. Like, cause I, well, had- and also that good, mm-hmm. like it can happen oh. where you come to LA and in two years you get a job on a show and it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, it was, like, it was bananas. Know. It was bananas yeah, because yeah. I was a fan of theirs. Like I had seen them do the live shows that led up to Mr. Show. I yeah. had, I had uh, seen season one of Mr. Show. I got to be, I got to do a bit part in it. And so for them to invite us to do this was, it, it was absolutely I can still remember that feeling. It was mind blowing. It's like, this is yeah. actually happening. Like the things that I want to happen are actually happening. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it was not lost on me. You know, I did not take that for granted at all. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't well, believe it was real. I didn't, yeah. like Jay, they took us out to dinner, me and Jay. And I had to call him. We had to call each other up afterwards. Like, is it, do you think they were serious? Like, did we get hired to do this? You know, it, it was unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you was this your first time in a in a room writing with that many people at once? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never been in a and, writer's room before. I didn't yeah. know. I'd never had that experience of writing for uh another voice, you know. Um and it was all it was all new, it was all learning, it was all growing pains. Um those guys were I have to say really great teachers, you know. Yeah. And they were they showed a, a remarkable amount of patience. Um, for, for new, for me, for me being a new writer, when I, cause Jay and I wrote stuff separately. We got hired as a team, but wrote separately. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned so much from them and they were, they really took the time to say, here's what, here's what would make this better. And yeah, because, and, and also, to, to be in that situation and not be resentful of it. Like when they took a sketch of mine and rewrote it, I couldn't, I never could say, well, it's not funnier than what I had come up with. It always was, you know, it yeah, was like, yeah. I, I'm still a fan of this show that I'm writing for, you know? Yeah. Um, the only, the only thing for me that was difficult was realizing, oh man, I want to be performing more than I want to be writing. Like I don't, uh-huh. I don't, I think as a, as a stand up you go you go one of two ways you either you either love the writing process so much that you become a room writer where you're like i really like the math of this i enjoy the that's that's the contentment that i get but for mm-hmm. me it was like no oh, i want to be the one saying the funny things <laughs> like i like being <laughs> in front of the camera you know yeah 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 uh and how how many seasons did it last after that uh, it was four seasons altogether. I wrote on season two and three and just acted on season four. Okay. Yeah. Um, because that, I mean, that show, I think, I mean, because that also too is the time that I started to get to know you mm-hmm. and started to kind of, you know, when I would come out to LA for work things, just kind of to dip my toe into the LA alternative scene, yeah. you know, Um but Mr. Show, I think, you know, it's it's one it's a real pillar of, I think, a lot of people's comedic identity. Yeah. Like it, it's as in it's on par. I, I dare I say with like a lot of people, it's on par with the Monty Python or, you know, people, people still bring it up to me. I meet people, yeah. they still bring it up to me, you know. Yeah. And that's not lost. I mean, but what's so funny is it was the same experience for me. 
You know, I I was even being inside it. It was the same experience. Like I felt like, I feel like sketch every, uh, it's like every generation or so there's an important sketch show like Python or, or SNL or SETV. The weird thing for me was I, it was so, what I find weird personally is that it was so close to kids in the hall, which I think was the other show of that era. That was an extremely formative and important sketch show in, in, in the comedy world. And that they happened, they were like, they overlapped a little bit. The fact that they were a little concurrent was, um, is wild to me. Like as a comedy fan, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, did, does it help back home that you got this job for two years, you know, three years? I mean, it, like with <laughs> no, the- it doesn't make any difference. Like really? after after I was nominated for an Emmy for writing Mr. Show, I went home for Thanksgiving and was having dinner with my parents. And my mom said, you know, your Uncle Vic can uh, teach you how to tune pianos. And I said, why would I want to learn how to tune pianos? She said, well, to have a trade to fall back on. And it's like- I don't know what more I could be doing to show you that this is working out. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's it. Yeah, it yeah. didn't make any difference. You know. Yeah. It didn't make any difference, and I don't know. Did- she like she before she died, she was asking me when I was going to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, oh. and I tried my best to assure her, like, Mom, it's all working out. Like, I'm I'm yeah, so yeah. I'm so lucky that I get to do a thing that I love and to to keep a roof over my head and food on my table. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like I'm, it, it's happening. It's working out. And she said, yeah. well, I, 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 I have to trust that you know more about it than I do. And that's yeah. like right before she fucking died. Like, I don't, I don't know what I, what more I could have done. But, right. but I also realize I don't know what she thought my goals were. And I think she thought my goal was to be Tom Cruise or something. Like I, oh. I she must've thought that. She must have thought yeah. that because it's not like I wasn't showing up at her door like, hey, mom, I need to stay here for a little bit. You know, like, I don't know. She must have thought that I wanted that I was chasing a crazy pie in the sky dream and that only I yeah. didn't see that it was never going to come true. You know, did you ever sense that there was resentment because you were kind of doing what you wanted to do and she never got to? I thought about that all the time. I yeah. thought I thought. Man, I don't know what her what her vision of her life was, you know, yeah. and what she what she would have rather have done than just be, you know, a mom to a working mother to six kids. Like, yeah, I don't know how she fucking did it, man. I don't know how yeah, she yeah, did yeah. it. And it's like, no, I the, in those times, I'm like, I don't blame you for being burnt out. That was impossible. Mm-hmm. That was impossible. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Bananas. The, the shit that you and did. Us- also, the, the like, there just didn't seem to be the notion of like, talk to your children, get to know them, respect them as individuals. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, that that didn't happen. It was like, shut up, do what you're told. Yeah, get in there. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I know I, I, I had it where I I know I had it better than she did. I know that I did. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I knew her mother, and her mother was not fun. You know, and yeah, I, I yeah. can't imagine what it was like to grow up to to grow, to grow up in the fucking. Great Depression, right? Uh-huh. With immigrant parents who, uh, you know, when they, uh, they, you, they just expect you to do as you're told because mm-hmm. that is the way of the world. And, right. you know, I know I had it better because I had the ability to, to argue with my mother. You know, I'm sure that she yep. did not have that luxury, you know? Right. 
<laughs> did, now, you told me once that towards the end of her life, she did sort of like revoke her Catholicism. Yeah, she became an atheist late in life. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was like um, how many years before she died? Was there and did she just announce it at Christmas? She did. She, she pretty much. <laughs> yes. She wow, did. that's um, awesome. She she became an atheist. I want to say like six to ten years before she died. Um, she was an old lady. She was thinking about the Iraq War, uh, which was raging at the time, um, and she was trying to figure out what reason God had for the war because she was brought up to believe God had a reason for everything. And then she thought, well, maybe God doesn't have a reason for this. And that's not the way it ever worked. And then she stayed up all night thinking like lying in bed and thinking. And by the morning, uh, as she she put it, and then I realized it was just all shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, mom, I, I get that. Yeah. I get that feeling. Yeah. 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 Good for you, mom. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And she, you know, she, when she was dying, she went into hospice care and, you know, a priest showed up to see her and she sent him away. She was like, no, I don't want to see that guy. Wow. <laughs> he wanted to give her last rites. And she had a friend. Yeah. She had a friend who was, who was her, I think her best friend who was very upset about this and was like, please let him give you last right. She's like, no, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me. And um, yeah, that was like, it was wild. It was really yeah. wild to see yeah, that, yeah. you know, she still did not like it when you said Jesus Christ though. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's still like, I remember I, her, you know what? <laughs> I remember her jumping when I said it one time. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I'm I'm I don't I, I like I don't call myself an atheist because I don't care enough, you know. Like I'm more agnostic. Where like it, I don't even give a shit about any of that stuff. Like right. go do what you want, but I'm not it, I'm not wasting any time thinking about <laughs> how the universe evolved, like or or whether there's somebody in the sky that you know thinks I'm being a bad boy. But uh, I di- I uh, when my kids. Like my daughter, who's 14, like sometimes she'll be like, Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll, there'll be a part of me that's like, look, I know we don't care. I mean, I don't say it, but it's like, still to a lot of people, that's a sacred, not to, you know, yeah. and I'm like, what the fuck am I talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Now, did she, did she, cause one of the, like, I've, I've, I've read a lot of like science, people get out of Scientology kind of stuff. Like for a while, like I just couldn't get enough of that topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing that was so striking to me was the universal embarrassment they all felt. Mm-hmm. And did she exhibit any of that? Like, how could I have been? No, she never. This? She never she did. Didn't? She yeah. never did. It really was for her. The way she talked about it was like, I used to believe this, but then I figured something out. But yeah. I, I think she always knew why she like. I know why I believed. You know, when I was younger, it yeah. it it made. It made perfect sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. I get why people. I get why people who are devout are devout. I absolutely understand it. I don't think it's ridiculous. It 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 comes from a place of, um, you know, real uh, uh, a real need to um, to explain. You know, yeah. to to create a purpose. And there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. Like the, yeah. the only the only place where religion fails people is the organized religion and the imposition of 
ideas onto other people and trying yeah, to yeah. trying to reshape the world um according to your view that's that's where it all falls apart for me like i'm i have friends who are religious that i uh i are intelligent people i know they're not dumb i know they're not um you know uh just uh you know, zombies who are believing a thing that they were told. I know that they're, they're smart people. They could walk away if they wanted to. It's not like a sense of duty. It's like, this is their deeply held belief. I have yeah. nothing but respect for that. But, you know, it is when we show, I think, I think we show too much deference to religion in a lot of ways. Um, Look, I'm not like fucking Bill Maher. You know what I mean? It's not like I, I don't feel like religion should be abolished. I just think that it it we need to redefine how religion exists as part of society because yeah. it's getting in the way sometimes. And it's yep. it's you know, it, there's undue reference uh, shown to it, I think. And then of course on the other side of it, they're like, We're under attack. And it's like Actually, you guys got it pretty good. There's a lot yeah, of yeah. things. There's a lot of things yeah. going your way, you know. Yeah, if you were under attack, you would be paying taxes. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. Yeah, you know, you are a money making entity that gets because you talk. You think you got a pipeline to God. You don't have to. You don't have to share. Yeah, you know, you're not. You're not. Ma- it's now. There's no mandated sharing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, no, I, I, I'm the same way. But I, I mean, I just, I don't know how. I don't know how there can be a you know religion in the way that we think of it and maybe this is just a western way of thinking about religion that doesn't like say well our way is the best way. Yeah. You know like yeah. you get like or try to or the notion of evangelism or evangelism is <laughs> that's like that's like pushing a scam. That's yes. not that's you know that's like where where your belief in what's right becomes like, oh no no, this is what's best for everybody, and yeah. everybody should be should join this team. Yeah. You know, we believe this for so the- much, we're going to go baptize some graves. Yeah, you know, like yeah, that's yeah. that's a bit rude. <laughs> yeah, or or people you know that have never seen a white person, we're going to go to the jungle and mm-hmm. you know shove a Bible at them and tell them that they've all been that virtually all their ancestors are rotting in hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey good, guys, good news, bad news. Good news is we're here. <laughs> yep. And I know it's not their fault, but yes, all your ancestors are rotting in Christian hell right now. Uh, well, we got to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, I want to, I, I do want to talk about how, and I mean, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but you know, you, you are sort of uh, have made an indelible mark on podcasting and that, you know, like, in the podcasting books, you're going to, you know, no, seriously, you're going to be like Uncle Melty of podcasting. <laughs> I hope I hold up better than that. <laughs> well, it's mainly because of your huge cock. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like to be the one to say it, but I love to be the one to hear it. <laughs> no, but I mean, how do, does it just, how does that evolve? Like, and what do you think at the beginning of all this? I mean, I, I was pretty excited by the, by the, at the very beginning of it, I love this medium. I think it's uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's I love that um, you know, like radio, it's it's a real theater of the mind thing. You can do so many different things with it, yeah. and I really love. And I hope this is I've said this a million times, and I'll, I'll keep saying it. 
I love that it's democratic, and I hope it always stays democratic. That you that literally anyone can do it. If you can if you can record your voice, you can make a podcast, and I hope that it always is open to everybody that wants to do it. You know, you don't have yeah. to be. You don't have to be part of a network. You don't have to pay some sort of admission fee. You don't have to, you know, buy some special internet or whatever the fuck. I hope that it's always available to everybody because it really is a it really is a wonderful thing. Like I've made I've made friends through this, you know? Like yeah. it's it's wild. I, I've reached people that I never could have reached otherwise. I I've I've um I've learned a new, uh, or I should say, I'm still learning uh, new disciplines, uh, new art forms, and um, uh, figuring out um, new ways to communicate. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and and you know when you know in the big book of podcasting, I mean, it encompasses so many people. If I if I do get um, if I am a footnote in that book, I'm glad, you know. But it's like yeah, there's there's as many different. Um, uh, fandoms within this medium as there is within any other. And there's, there's, yeah. there's people who listen to a ton of podcasts who have no idea who I am. And that's, yeah, there's yeah. something that's also kind of great about that, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I am, I'm very, um, I'm very proud to be a part of this medium and I'm, I'm indebted to it in many ways. And um, I'm glad that I get to keep on doing it. I'm yeah. especially now I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for it. Like to get on here with you and have this conversation, uh, this this will be my day made, you know? Oh, thank you. For yeah, sure. Me too. Me too, absolutely. You know, and I, and I mean, particularly I was excited to talk to you because uh, it's been too long. So <laughs> It's been forever, I um, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and like you said, it is – podcasting is funny because like when people say, do you listen to podcasts, it's like saying, do you watch TV? Yeah. It's like it, it is – It could. it's so many different things. Absolutely. And it is hilarious to me that – you know, like Diane Feinstein or, or no, Barbara Boxer will be on TV like on MSNBC as a talking head and it's like she's also the host of the you know, Barbara Boxer <laughs> podcast. And it's just so fucking hilarious to me that a former senator like – that she's you know talking about quisp like i just picture her like today we're gonna talk about old cereals remember king vitamin it was just quisp with a fancy name uh wait is that what her <laughs> podcast is yeah it is it's all nostalgia <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome I would love <laughs> well i mean is there anything is there anything in the future that you're not doing now, anything specific? I mean, is it kind of just to keep keep the course you're on or is there, you know, I mean, we already talked kind of about who the fuck knows what happens after yeah. COVID, but, you know. I mean, I do want to, I do want to get back into stand up for sure. I also want to get into theater. I want to get into live yeah. theater because it's, it's a thing that every time I, I go, I you see mean getting cast in a play and being an actor in it. Yeah. I, I would do that. I'd like to write something, you know, uh -huh. um, I, I really, there's something about the, the theater that is every time I go, I appreciate it as an art form, even if I don't enjoy the show, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. this is still, cause when it works, it's so it's so magical that like yeah. all of the timing of everything, the people on and off stage have to make this happen. Moving sets, changing lights. Like, all, I love all that shit. And it's like, I really want to, 
I, it's a thing that I, I, you know, I did musicals in high school, but I've never written a thing and I've never, I, I have yet to be cast in like a legitimate theater production. And it's something I, I definitely like to try. Yeah. I, I agree with you because I, I feel about like, to, to me, the, the notion of, of performance art, whether, you know, whatever it is, it, to me, the true magic of it is its transformative abilities mm-hmm. or transportational abilities, I yeah. should say. And, and I think with a movie, when you sit in the dark and all you can see is this immersive world and you get all the, you know, the benefit of music and editing and, and special effects and stuff. That's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. Like to make somebody feel like they're somewhere else and somebody else. Yeah. In a theater and a movie theater is kind of easy. The times that it's happened to me in a live theater are it's like where where the the thing comes on and I realize oh shit I forgot who I was yeah, for a while. Yeah, absolutely. You, I was just living here looking at this thing. You forget but about the exit so, signs, you forget about the people yeah. around you, you forget about like yeah. maybe the little bit of 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 wings that you can see yeah, over the yeah. side of the stage the like uncomfortable seat. Yeah. In, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's powerful. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it's ha- like you say it's happened so infrequently to me because it's so hard to do. So hard. And, and then my, the one thing that does hamstring me from theater, and I don't know how to get over this, <laughs> is that sometimes when somebody's on stage really acting up a storm mm-hmm. and I'm not in that, like I, the drug hasn't worked, yeah. I just feel so embarrassed for them. <laughs> like I'm I'm there. It's one thing to see somebody acting like, like getting hysterical on a movie, you right. know, and you're just like, that's all fake, you know, but, it, it, but here it's like, this is all fake. You're, you do this every night mm-hmm. and I feel embarrassed for you. Right. But, you know, I personally feel <laughs> like there's just times when I feel like acting is one of the most embarrassing things a human being can do. Like to have to just on command become like i'm real sad yeah you know it's just weird to me well that's why the the goal always is to is to get past it is to get past that because i think that's i think that's an instinct in all of us to 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 you know greater extents or or another depending on who you are and i think the the impulse is uh, you know the 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 drive to get past that to where it's not to where you're not thinking about like how did he memorize those lines? You know? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet that shirt's uncomfortable. Yeah. That no, is yeah. that is the goal. Yeah. That is the goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, there is the third question on here, and in, in it's in this gimmick I've come up with, which is <laughs> what have you learned? And um, I mean, whether that, you know, that's it, often can be advice, and it, it certainly doesn't have to be about show business, because, mm-hmm. you know, it that's like, one of the things one of the things about this podcast and in doing this podcast that I do sometimes wish is that it is it's like too much about work mm-hmm. you know like yeah. i I end up talking about work, but it's like it's hard to have somebody come on here and be like, spill your guts for my <laughs> listeners, you know I mean because that's like always something I've always been queasy about is asking someone to divulge something personal and private for for my content Mm -hmm. for, you know, and, and I, and I mean, and there's people, you know, I've encountered it where people are like, what do you think about this very gossipy thing about people, you know, your opinion of this person? I'm like, why should I give that to you? Like, 
Cause you ask, you know, <laughs> and, and I, so, but I do want to, you know, I, it is, it's easier sometimes when it's job related, but, uh, and frequently job related and personal stuff overlap for sure. Yeah. 100%. They do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I have learned to, the biggest thing that I've learned is to accept that I am a uh, flawed human being and that I can't just stop there with having learned that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm better than I was. I'm not as good as I want to be, but I have to remind myself to keep trying because there are, there are times where you, I can plateau and I can think, no, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good, you know, but I know that I still have a ways to go. I know that there's, there's stuff deep inside me that, um, you know, I revert to in, in, in bad times that I don't want to be a part of me. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I just want to get to the best parts of me that I can get to. And having reached, yeah. having reached some, I, I just want to keep reaching for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing I learned, and this is something that I, you know, it's where showbiz overlaps. One thing I learned from, being next to Conan O'Brien through for the last 20 whatever years is that I saw in him his attainment of his goal. He got to be a late night talk show host, mm-hmm. the thing he had been working and working for. And from my perspective, I think for a while, once he got it, he didn't know what to do with himself mm-hmm. because it, he, there had been such a focus and such like that had been the engine. And once that engine is like, that engine gets shut off. The acquisition of it is now, and now there's the doing of it. Yeah. And it really, to me, I had this thought of it's don't make it a thing, make it a process, make it a goal, make it, you know, going forward, make it getting better mm-hmm. uh, to borrow, you know, a Ron Funches thing, you know, cause that's his thing is get, getting better. Mm-hmm. Just, and it is such a, it is such a process thing. I remember when I worked in film production in Chicago, I was working on, I was doing special effects with a guy, this great guy who one day just was like, told me he's, he's a Buddhist. He's like a straight up, and he's a, you know, a white guy, normal guy. It's like, I'm a Buddhist. And in talking to him, like, really, like, no, he seriously, you know, is a Buddhist. And I mentioned to him the whole notion of trying not to try, that yeah. kind of Zen thing of like, if you just let things flow, then that's when it all really happens and it's magic. And and that that notion of like, I got to really work on not trying. Mm-hmm. I could never <laughs> get my mind around yeah. that. Like, how do you focus on not focusing? Yeah. And he said, well, that's not the point. He said, the point is try. The point is to try because mm-hmm. you, you never get there. Probably never, ever get there, yeah. but just try. Take that, Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> Your bullshit advice. Yeah. Finally, we get to the point of this podcast. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Yoda. Yoda's canceled. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's going to get savaged on Twitter today. Well, Paul, this has been really lovely. Uh, Likewise. It's been 
a great chance to talk to you. Give my love to Janie. I will. Uh, and and when the world uh, opens up again, we definitely have to uh, look at each other face to face. Count on it. Yeah. And deal with it. <laughs> Just fucking deal with it. The pixelated sunglasses are lowering over my eyes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Paul Tompkins. Thank you, Andy Richter. And uh, all of you out there, thank you for listening. And we will be on next week with more of The Three Questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Golitsa Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.